let me introduce Enkaruka Uwaji. This is your Wintrade Global Talk. Welcome. Well, first of all, thanks so much, Yvonne, for having me. And I'm really excited for my Wintrade Global Talk and delving a little bit deeper into technology, but also why that matters for SMEs specifically. Um, so before we kind of kick off, um, a bit of background about myself. I spent the last years in the tech industry, primarily focusing on emerging technologies, digital transformation, and also uh, really focused around how to help specifically in financial services and um, that pivot point of how do you actually use technology in order to transform your business model. That led me into many different worlds. I, I spent some time in America, some time in Ireland. I'm originally Nigerian, also German. So hence why my accent is a bit funny, I'm guessing, um, in terms of being non-placeable a lot of the times. But uh, really my passion for technology has helped me go into many of these different arenas and more importantly, work with some of the most exciting big FTSE 100 companies and helping them think about their digital strategy, their technology strategy. And with that, at the moment, I'm driving a lot of work within the financial services ecosystem to understand how we can co-create the next set um, of solutions for the financial services industry um, through, of course, leveraging technology. So really interested to dive into you know, how that can be, again, replicated into the SME space um, and unpack that a little bit more today. Ankarika, tell us a bit more about how the pandemic has affected SMEs. I know how it's created a shift for us, but I'm guessing it's been different for so many people. So tell us a bit more about your world. Definitely. And I think, uh, Yvonne, you raise a great point there. I think Wintrade is exactly the poster child um, in terms of needing to pivot, right, because of the pandemic um, and rethinking about, well, how do you actually work with my members, even though we're not able to see each other physically? And a lot of SMEs really faced the same problem, which was all around that the entire business model is very much focused on more of an in-person rather than technology-driven business model. And so the pandemic really put a lot of pressure under a lot of businesses, which I'm sure everyone seen in reports and in the news, right? So I don't think anyone's a stranger to that. But interestingly enough, McKinsey actually released a report in July 2020 looking at these SMEs over this time span and seeing that even though there was really a level of technology uptake, is that there is a high desirability in order to do that. Um, but some of the questions around that are really around the fact that it's still significantly more costly or perceived as more costly for SMEs to uptake some of those technology aspects. Um, they also have fear around kind of the migration. So losing some of the data that they may have captured that's maybe not captured in a, a CRM system that's uh, again driven through a cloud native platform. But actually, I think the thing that stands out to me most is that there's actually a really large lack of expertise within their current business. And that's a big question mark. Well, how do I support that? You know, you talk about blockchain, you talk about AI and cloud. Well, for a lot of individuals, those are very scary words because they're very abstract and you keep on wondering, is this relevant for my business? Do I need to start investing into this? Will my business be disintermediated if I don't? And, you know, those are really some of the questions um, across the board that SMEs have been asking themselves during this pandemic, but also looking at, you know, where can you incrementally invest and start to pivot your business model in order to be more profitable? 
So actually some of the findings as part of that report as well showed that 20% of productivity can be gained if SMEs were to actually implement technology. And that's probably still on the lower scale. There's definitely been numbers out there that are more 50% and north, depending on what part of the business you're in. Um, but I think across different industries, right, there's really an incessant need in order to look at technology as not an option, but rather like a core of your business. So. I know for us, we felt that we had to do something a little bit different. We had to move forward. We had to stand out from the crowd, which was why we invested in Airmeet. But for those who can't make that kind of investment or don't know what their next step is, what is the best route for them? And also, you keep talking about blockchain and AI. Tell us more about those. I mean, listen, interestingly enough, probably as a technologist, I, I probably have a, the most pragmatic view when it comes to technology about uh, when and why to even invest in it. And I think a lot of times businesses need to answer one fundamental question, which is, what do I want to be when I grow up? It means having a goal in mind and understanding, you know, how in that customer or user journey, you're, you can add value. There's literally no sense in you tapping into blockchain if you are in a specific line of business that doesn't necessarily command there to be a blockchain platform. And so with that, it can be very irrelevant to your business to even consider that. And the same goes for AI, right? AI specifically looks at analyzing vast amounts of data. So as a business who might be only having 100 customers and X amount of data, is it really relevant that you're looking at AI? However, that doesn't mean that as you're thinking about scaling your business or scaling your proposition that you don't think about, okay, what do I want to be when I grow up and think about how those technologies might be able to impact your business. And I think the easy way to do that is really thinking about advisors who come from the technology background, start to really leverage those and say, having their eyes on your technology strategy, because actually lots of SMEs don't have any type of CTO, because why would you have one if you're not investing into technology? But actually, mm -hmm. just because you're not doing that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a CTO advisor. This can really come really easy capacity. You can reach out to individuals over LinkedIn that you find interesting. You can use great platforms like Wintrade, where I'm sure there's a bunch of technologists that either speak there or mm -hmm. are you know, you're networking with and ask them for, for really some time and through with them about your specific strategy. And that in itself can already be literally a very great win. If we go back to the reason as to why a lot of times SMEs don't pivot is actually because of the lack of expertise. So if you don't have it house, try to find it in a friendly way. And, and you spoke a little bit also about the fact that some things might be costly. And then I would say, again, think about the longer term trajectory and whether it might matter in that sense in order for to have a longevity in your strategy to potentially look at different funding models either through grants or potentially through investors angel investors etc so you mentioned the cto i'm i'm assuming that is chief technology officer yes but tell us what is blockchain well, blockchain is really a distributed ledger technology. What that means is imagine if we were all connected, interconnected, and we were a network in itself. And in blockchain, you basically have a record, a copy of the same instance that would be hosted, let's say, 
in each of us as a network. And so that means that you can cut down the fraud and the indications of maybe records that people might try to forge. And so the way the blockchain works is that if 60 to 70% of the records all remain the same, it means that you know that there's one single source of truth versus if maybe the majority of that has been tampered, you're more sure that actually that may not be relevant. So this is often used in supply chain, it's used in financial services, in the securities business, but blockchain actually expands further than that where it also has great tooling and functionality such as smart contracts, which are basically digitized automated contracts that have other words and that might be in a contract already automated into code. So ultimately it's just a really smart and fancy tool to use, but ultimately also something that in the industry where we've now spent the last nearly decade on, on trying to understand blockchain and cryptocurrencies, there's only far in between use cases. So hence I bring it back into, you know, really thinking about how relevant is it uh, for your business. And the majority of use cases we've probably seen is more in, in the actual trade business and within maybe supply chain or financial services, but still a very contended technology in itself. So you, you again, just mentioned another foreign word, cryptocurrencies. So tell us a bit more about cryptocurrencies, how we might use it, what we might use it for, where do we find it? I would just put in a disclaimer here that this is definitely not any professional point of view, sure. nor is this a point of view of the organization that I work for being in financial services to definitely highlight that. So cryptocurrencies are basically a form of digital currencies that are vetted by cryptography at the back of it. And the way it would work is that it is an independent currency in itself. There are a number of those out there. One of the most famous ones that I'm sure you've all heard of is, for instance, Bitcoin. And that is powered through a mechanism called mining. Uh, so I won't go too deeply into that, but if you think about it um, it's ultimately a form of digital currency that acts in itself and the positive that people have seen in it is that it's unlike kind of fiat currency that depending on what happens in the economy is actually quite independent of that so a lot of crypto fans or supporters would say that it was actually a much more democratic way of, of having currency and money now, where could you find it? Uh, there are many wallets there. So wallets are basically mobile wallets or crypto wallets that specifically have uh, crypto currencies in there that you can basically buy. So you exchange fiat for crypto and you could basically start trading or even investing with cryptocurrencies. I would also highlight that this is a highly volatile market and that one day you might have a thousand pounds worth of cryptocurrency and the next day it could be down to 400. So it's extremely volatile market because it's not necessarily been regulated or backed in that many countries, but it is seen all as a form of exploration that potentially cryptocurrencies could be a link to digital currencies and the learnings there could be a new way of money in the future. So you go to the bank for it? No, you don't. Blockchain and DLT is also the decentralized ledger technologies all around decentralization. So again, making things a public good Mm -hmm. and naturally cryptocurrencies have arisen from there and therefore it is also highly contested when it comes to financial services because it's actually owned by a community of individuals. 
So in a sense, it's a kind of who dares wins or who dares can win. I mean, I saw something just recently that when Bitcoin first came out, it was worth something like some ridiculous figure, ridiculously low figure. And now they're like thousands of pounds. Yeah. One Bitcoin today is like 44,000 pounds. If you just think back literally two years ago or so, it was at $13,000. And then the market fell completely. There's a lot of scrutiny about, well, cryptocurrency is really volatile and people shouldn't put their money behind it. And then a couple of years later, where actually a lot of financial services organizations are really actually starting to think about uh, the potential of investing into it and also the potential really? as to how might we actually explore cryptocurrency in a different form than more around digital currencies such as central bank digital currencies so there is opportunity but definitely regardless of what it is if you think about it an asset that's backed by technically nothing but a fee is and other people investing to the theory can be very volatile and unpredictable so if you want to put your money there great but ultimately and um, you know it needs to again be done at everyone's own risk i think you might have said that there is no trading body as such there's like there's no centralized function oh. where where if you lose some money you can go back to that function and say okay by the way i think i might have invested into this and you know i now need my money back um so that's just not how it works when you say Bitcoin, is that like some shares? So you could buy shares in this, shares in that, or is it only Bitcoin you can buy into and it has to be that level? So, I mean, the interesting thing is, is the fact that the digitization of this technology actually enables us to create basically a modular micro approach. So you don't have to buy an entire Bitcoin. You can also just buy a fraction of it. And in mm -hmm. fact, in cryptocurrency or in digital currency, this theory around digital assets is changing everything in terms of really thinking about how might we not own an entire Mona Lisa, but maybe just a part of the painting. So even just like thinking about how we might do that in a micro ownership way, because it just creates more access. So that's really the conversation that is being had in the industry about how can this technology enable actually more people to have access and a share to it. So it's more like not owning a Van Gogh, just his ear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Which, or, or, you know, not owning a whole football team, but maybe you and all of the windtreaters could own a football team wow. together. And so that is exactly how kind of this tokenization and digital asset piece is changing the conversation and opening up new opportunities for new businesses to arise and also changing potentially the, the ownership of each individual and how they participate in today's economy. Where would one find out? where to buy, how to buy, how to get in. So I would say before anybody would dive into that, please, please, please read as much material as possible. Be also really mindful of that there's a lot of advocates out there that might not be promoting the safest way of buying crypto. Also, I would say, please do not invest your life savings into it. I said, it's very volatile. So I would definitely just say, spend a good time. also just speaking to the community and just finding out things. Even though I worked in the blockchain space, it took me quite a number of years to feel like I could trust myself in the process of investing into crypto. 
And I would just say there's multiple platforms out there actually, and a new bank, so digital banks such as Revolut, who actually, um, as part of their trading capacity in terms of the stocks, they have an entire crypto wallet. So you could technically go into that as well and just in one second buy some Bitcoin mm-hmm. and lots of other uh, wallets out there like Coinbase, etc. But for disclaimer, I do not encourage anybody to <laughs> without getting the right advice. Yes, independent advice. And- all of that so one of the next things that we want to talk about talking of technology what's the best route for SMEs to start thinking about how to or what to integrate as far as technology is concerned so I think for small uh, small to medium businesses really the biggest part technology can play is software right software solutions really offer you to digitize your business quite quickly um, so I would say maybe uh, start with like customer relationship management tools that gives you a really good database that you can always come back to and kind of market to then I would say definitely look at marketing software and um, so many ways in order to like lead campaigns now and that campaigns can really help you actually generate new individuals right who want to consume your products and who want to interact with you you also want to think about like your social and your SEO. So anything to do with social media marketing, a Google search, right? Those are also considered technology. And that's really important in terms of that strategy piece. And then I think the other parts are depending on what type of business you are, you might want to think about how might I leverage like an application or a platform, right? We all use apps on a daily basis. And it's so intuitive now to say, oh, I'm just going to go and download that app. What yeah. people your business, right, to think about that? And that doesn't mean that you have to be on the app store. But I think even just thinking about how your website can be an app for you and that can enable your business is a good start. Again, heads up, that will require investment from developers, etc. But ultimately, you know, there's so many, again, ways to do that. There's a lot of freelancers out there that are looking for job opportunities. So where you can, again, incrementally invest into that technology build without needing to procure something really big or, or go to a large technology company in order to build that. So my last question is how can SMEs collaborate in the wider ecosystem and why is collaboration key? So I think this exactly builds on the last point that we discussed, right, in terms of where do you find actually this right information? And a lot of times we just spend way too much time either with ourselves and our business or also in a very small community that might, again, not have the the right level of expertise that we need in order to pivot. So my advice, get uh, an advisor, right? The market is so full of individuals who are really open and who are willing to spend their time just to actually help your business move forward. And look also for individuals who have healthy networks. I think the collaboration is you don't always have to do it yourself. Find ways to do it through other people, so through other smaller organizations. And those are all the news where we can really think about how can I strengthen my business through those collaborations and working out in the ecosystem in general. You know, I just think that there's a lot of problems we can't solve by ourselves. Mm-hmm. The better way to do that is together kind of the whole point of Wintrade Global Network because we want to come together, we want to support each other, we want to cheerlead and make sure that as businesses, whether when we're startups, SMEs or ready to scale up, that we're supporting each other and we try to get each other through this whole 
pandemic right through to the other side. So I'm going to introduce Fumza Diani. Great to see you. Great to see you too, Dr. Yvonne. I think one question for me, Nkiruka, I work in the tech space, uh, but more on the infrastructure side of things. We've been trying to introduce blockchain to women. And women because there are so many use cases that can actually help them, especially the, the use cases around uh, sourcing funding, using it as a system for developing the trust, but also have access to funding. But there is such resistance from women in getting to understand blockchain. And it's very strange because in the country, there is quite a fast adoption when it comes to the smaller SMMEs, the government in as far as the Reserve Bank is concerned. But we went out to market, we offered free courses, we offered things like training lessons just to simplify it. It is quite complex as opposed to first understand it. But there's a resistance, but also, you know, that consistency of following up and being patient with it. Are you finding it the same? in your different environments and what have you used to get them interested and excited about blockchain? I think in general, there's still some resistance to getting on board with technology in general for women. I don't know about the voluntary resistance or just one that stems from something that's been ingrained in, in women when, and, and how they've been kind of brought up. But I think ultimately, there obviously needs to be more encouragement for women to, in general, get into certain technology and to be able to, I think, safely experiment on that. I think probably for a lot of women, it's more about the question of livelihood. If you're supporting yourself, are you going to risk all of that in order to go and explore a new technology? Probably not, right? So I think it's about circumstances and, and how much you're going to feel that you have a safety net to fall back on while you're potentially exploring that new technology. And also, I think the question always is, will this actually generate revenue or income for me if I'm investing time into that? Uh, definitely seeing it in the blockchain space in general, it's very male-dominated. I believe, actually, the years where I met Dr. Yvonne was very similar. The, the talk I gave was that it was a really minute uh, percentage of women um, who are not only involved in the blockchain space, but also if you looked at the investment, is that something like I think all the cryptocurrencies that are invested in something was only like three to four percent or something invested by women this is obviously some five years ago or something uh, but ultimately that again questioned of like well if mo majority of men are investing into these type of new technologies where will the future ultimately be in terms of ownership they will not be with the women so I think it's about and creating a narrative for women to make them understand that actually if you do not take active participation now you know in the future there's going to be a gap then so that we all have to kind of chip in in order to even out the gaps that exist within the technology space when you introduce blockchain the perception that is that it's one of those pyramid schemes how far do you think regulation can help developing trust for instance around uh, nigeria i don't know how many people have followed the regulation there where the central bank has basically declared that all cryptocurrencies shall no longer be uh, basically used within nigeria and that none of the fintechs or banks should allow for cryptocurrencies to be basically exchanged for fiat i mean that sends a really big message saying not safe you shouldn't work with it and, and that's not great for the community of people who are trying to tap into that. And actually, um, again, in the sense of uh, looking at the economy and the pressure with FX and the pressure on the Naira and the dollar, 
It's like cryptocurrency was a really easy way for having transfers, right? Remittance transfers and B2B transfers. And that has basically been abstracted. So if that's the message you're giving to the community, it's not going to be a surprise if they're not then going to be able to get involved into such sort of new technologies. And, and so with that, I'm a firm believer that regulation plays a huge role in sending messages. But then again, also to be fair to regulation, if from a regulatory point of view, they feel that there's risk to the existing system, then that needs to be discussed and understood from a wider perspective. Thanks very much, Hamza, for that question. If we may now ask Jill Stewart, another one of our esteemed members, to come on screen and ask a question to Nkaruka, please. Thank you so much, Nkaruka. For um, 20 odd years ago, I went on a course called Applying Technology in Learning. And it just blew my mind in terms of how we're using technology in the classroom at the time. And I'm still of that mindset where I think education must play a huge part, particularly just people becoming more digitally aware. And we live in a world where it's very visual at the moment and sometimes quite uncreative. I'm also into wellness and I'm worried (laughs) that we're depending too much on technology as part of that. So it's a balance between the two. And, you know, we're in lockdown. We've been using it in a variety of different ways. How do you see the future? Not business owners. I'm just talking about people generally as we move into, I don't know, the autumn and beyond in relation to to all this. The future will be hybrid. I think a lot of people might not be comfortable with that just because it puts a lot of different type of strain uh, on the individual as well to constantly be connected to technology and it Mm -hmm. changes our behavior in general where there's no shortage of evidence that shows that technology can be really highly addictive. And the question is, we haven't lived with this technology for so long, so how much is that impacting our day-to-day well-being? So there's still a lot of questions as to, will this have your impact? But I think besides that kind of concern, I think it's about balance. So hence why I think the future will be hybrid in the sense of if I'm looking at uh, in today's world where COVID is still a prominent factor in terms of how everyone interacts with the outdoors and or going into the office. And then you think about it from a business perspective and you think, well, if I can cut costs by enabling my company or my employees actually to work digitally, how can I do that? Now, you, you say you work in the you know, health sector. That's an interesting one, right, that made a huge pivot during COVID. Suddenly, it was like, oh, well, I can actually finally just virtually talk to my doctor because he's actually not really doing any examinations on me. Oh, I can finally get some prescriptions that don't have to uh, break out my whole day just to go to the NHS. So I do think it's going to make us more efficient, this hybrid world. I do think it requires all of us to think about how do we create a better balance between us and technology and Mm -hmm. how do we basically, again, have a best practice and an ethos around how do we want to connect with that? Because there's a lot of burnout as well currently happening because it's back-to-back, back-to-back meetings. But so technology can be an enabler, but it can also be a disabler. So I would say it's just about that balance and and having these best practices conversations to say, how do we want to live as a society? So my next question to you, if I may ask one more question, and it touches on what Fumza said, was that 
she was talking about, you know, why are there not more women interacting and engaged in the blockchain space? Would you say that that has something partly to do with a lack of belief in the abilities to, to deal with tech or some sort of imposter syndrome? That's the first part of the question. Second part is, what kind of challenges did you encounter when you first got into the base? Um, it takes me back to a couple of years ago where I spoke uh, to over a thousand schoolgirls who were all kind of in the ages of like 14 to 16. And believe it or not, after all the speaking engagements I've done, that was the one I was most terrified for because who could judge you more than teenage girls? <laughs> And so with that, you know, I was like, how can I talk about my experience and getting them into tech? Because it was all around like STEM, etc. And how can I make it feel like it's interesting for them to consider a career in tech? So instead of talking to them specifically about what I do in my job, which frankly they wouldn't care about, I talked about what it enabled me to do and my journey of traveling, my journey of being able to spin up my own side business, which is in fashion. And I made it really interesting for them to think about the abilities that tech can enable you to do and not just that it's like, you know, a one lane uh, possibility. Because if you think about other roles that women tend to very frequently step into marketing, HR, those are all very people related roles. So you need to make it personable to, I think, the, the girls who are growing up so that they naturally think, oh, well, that's actually really fun, even though everybody in the course is a boy and dresses maybe a bit like a nerd or whatever right uh, because girls at that age want to do girly stuff a lot of times not all of them right so I think it's about how do you make it accessible um, in the way that actually represents girls I got really lucky my sister was into tech my dad was into tech so naturally I was against tech but eventually realized that they were probably onto something uh, but my sister always wore pink she always had long nails and she was like yep I don't care, I'm gonna be very flamboyant in this. So it, it was already easier for me because I had that surrounding. Now stepping into the tech industry was definitely much different because not only was it very male dominated, but I started out in Ireland and then soon moved to Boston after that and then to London. And throughout all my careers, every single kind of senior leadership team I worked for were white and male. And well, I was very scared. I'm feeling like I'm imposter syndrome because I thought, well, why am I here? Uh, clearly something's gone wrong. But I think it's about keep on thinking that we are going through a journey and that at the end of the day, you're going to be the odd one out and that's okay. But you have to step into that light and you have to step into the energy and just embrace it because it just means you're, you know, making a change happen that wasn't there before. And I think nowadays there is so much more representation in the tech industry and also in other industries where it shouldn't be about like, oh, specifically in tech, specifically in my company, I need representation. It's about saying I can be representation and who in the wider community of individuals can be a mentor to me, can be a coach to help me step into that energy and that light, right? So um, I think it's just an enabling others. And a lot of times I think women, we spend a lot of time as a women network, but I wonder as to how much energy we spend into really pushing the other person saying, come on, just get on with it. Instead of talking about how much a problem it is that we don't have women representation. Thank you so, so much. Very nice to meet you. So the last person I'm going to bring on screen now is Michelle. The stage is yours. 
Thank you, Yvonne. And so I'm Michelle Yao, and I'm a tourist guy in London, entrepreneur and a life coach. I've been approached many, many times, but I'm really afraid to go into it, uh, to, to venture into the cryptocurrency because I've heard about people losing their password and they lose all their money and they can't retrieve it. And this is one of the questions. And uh, what is your advice on how do we really invest? Um, yeah. yeah, and, and great to meet you, Michelle, uh, and thanks so much for your question. First of all, for, for anybody who loses their password, I would always encourage, write it down. Um, I think, listen, if you're unsure and it makes you feel kind of uncomfortable, I would say, again, just like more research, understanding and talking to people who have invested into that space. Do not go and invest your life savings in it. Uh, the great thing about cryptocurrency is that you could invest as little as $5 into bitcoin and just see what it does even if you don't make a huge return like it's okay if you're just trying to experiment and figure something out and understand how it works just do that there's also a lot of ports out there that again you can read online lots of platforms that constantly write on it the performance there's also now banks or neo banks or also crypto wallets that specifically enable you to do that digitally so you can just do that over your phone they offer advisory service, etc. So you don't need to, you know, be a lone wolf and, and figure it all out. But again, I'm just saying, if you do feel uncomfortable with it, um, definitely don't jump into it. And then I'll just on the last point uh, in terms of which platform or which crypto to bet on. Listen, just like with everything in the world, the world's a big place. There's going to be multiple ones of these. There's not going to be one big contender. Yeah, Bitcoin, it like significantly soared, but only because there were so much questions around it. And frankly, there's not really been that many that perform at the same level. So I just wouldn't worry too much about it and just say, take it slowly. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michelle. So with that, I want to give you a really big thank you as usual, it's a joy listening to you speak. I'm going to let you go. And Karuka Waje, this has been your WinTrade Global Talk. And we thank you so much for being with us.